It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornsheen. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is Steve Ford, your co-host for today's show. Here in the studio along with me is Pastor John Bornsheen, Senior Pastor at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, located here in beautiful Colorado Springs, Colorado. As always, we're glad that you've joined us today. We're continuing our series titled, The Top 10 Issues That Divide Christians. In case you missed any of the episodes in this series, you can find all the broadcasts and many more on the church's website at calvaryfountain.com. Well, last week we started our discussion on the topic of war. We made an important distinction between war and killing. We defined war as an armed conflict between two or more nations carried out by soldiers operating under a recognized form of civic leadership, such as the U.S. Congress, which can officially declare war on another nation. We also talked about how Jesus said that his disciples would hear of wars and rumors of wars, suggesting that war would remain a part of our world until the culmination of human history, exactly what we've seen as we look back towards the time of Jesus last broadcast, Pastor John provided us with a historical perspective on war from that, the standpoint, the historical church standpoint, the church fathers and how they viewed war and just war. Uh, prior to the show, we were, we were discussing and we'll continue to discuss today how the difference between murder and killing and how some of these things fall back to a, a heart matter and motivation. And, and Pastor John uh, touched that last episode talking about how police officers and, and our soldiers aren't out to intentionally trying to hurt somebody. On the contrary, they're actually trying to protect these individuals who are vulnerable. And so we're going to address that a little bit more today. Well, as we continue our discussion, I think it's important that we remember to honor God by praying for our country, for our leaders, our soldiers, our policemen, as well as our country's enemies. Pastor John? Well, Dr. Ford, a great intro as always, my friend. This has been a very sensitive subject. We've heard from a number of folks already, as we'd expect, because this is a, a community really that has been brought together from all walks of life, but we have a very strong community of military veterans or even active in their service to our country. And uh, quite frankly, for myself, this is a personal issue because my son is in the Colorado Springs Police Department. So, you know, we're, we're really trying to uh, study this. This is a, you know, a, a paradigm assessment, even one that we could look at a case study on a number of case studies that are before us on this, of trying to understand from a b- biblical Worldview. That's the key here, the biblical worldview of how do we understand when someone is being called forth to take a stand on the front lines and possibly take a life and do so while being a Christian when we have so many scriptures that seem to indicate the pacifist perspective of turning the other cheek, going the extra mile. When we look to Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, it's very convicting of this assessment of the heart that we're not to act in vengeance, uh, we're not even to act out, it seems like, against our enemies. Even the slave was commended for taking persecution from their master. And all these texts that are predominantly within the New Testament there, and we think, well, is the New Testament in contradiction to the Old Testament? Because in the Old Testament, well, we see a God who commands even King David and the servants of Israel, the mighty men of valor, to go out and act as an agent of God to bring judgment on other nations 
and to completely wipe them out in many cases. We see with Israel when they're coming into the promised land uh, to, to wipe out the nations that were there. We see how God will even raise up the Babylonians to bring judgment on the Assyrians or the Egyptians. He'll then later use the Medes and Persians against Babylon or the Greeks and, and how he raises up kings and takes them down and so forth. And so we find that there's this interesting dichotomy when we study the Bible. Some people walk away and think, well, the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. And that's not true at all. In fact, that's reiterated scripturally that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we do see how he works in dispensations throughout human history and the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. But yet there's a thematic thread that is consistent in this. It is a heart matter. And we looked at Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 last week, which says, you shall not murder And that's often skewed to address sort of from perspectives that are more pacifist oriented to say, well, you're not supposed to kill. And that's not what it says. Murder is different from killing. And we see that even on the Sermon on the Mount. You go to Matthew chapter 5 and you go all the way down to verse 21. You see that murder begins in the heart. And he talks about how we can judge our brother. We can use words against them that are hate-filled. And there is a difference from those who are called to arms to stand on the front lines for our community and overseas, wherever they are called to do so. There is a difference from those who are seeking vengeance and and bloodthirsty in their heart to destroy. And they've now they no longer see their enemy as people. They're no longer dads of families. They are animal-like. They're expendable. They need to be expelled from the world. The world needs to be detoxified from them in some manner. And we justify these kind of thought processes. It's not unlike what we see with Nazi Germany and how they treated the Jews. And you, you just no longer see them as people. And that justifies a bloodthirsty behavior. That's not what we're talking about here. That's murder in the heart, right. rather than saying, I am a Christian at all times, even if I have to carry a weapon whether in service as a police officer and whether in service in the military, that I examine every instance through the lens that I'm firstly a Christian. And if it requires that I have to take a life, it's not because I desire to take that life, but because I have to in this situation. And you're always holding every situation accountable is first and foremost, I am a Christian before the Lord God. I worship him and I'm in duty to him first and foremost. That's what Daniel had to do. Even under seven administrations throughout the book of Daniel, he never compromised his first allegiance, which was to God first and foremost. And he was challenged. He was tested. And we know our soldiers will be tested as well, as well as police officers. I know my son was often ridiculed for not having a foul mouth and being different. And and granted, I know that those who were putting him through the initiation process as a police officer, they probably meant well, think they were going to toughen him up. But he was different because he was first and foremost a Christian. And everything he does for our community is through that lens, I serve the Lord first. And he may have to take a life in that service to protect a woman, to protect a child, to protect a family, because we're in a toxic world filled with sin, and that happens. But that's what we want to talk about here in this program today. Yeah, I, you make a fantastic point. I think if we look through that lens, and lens that we see throughout the Old Testament of act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your mm-hmm. God, if we do it in that particular like lens, that's really going to help us make, us, make some of those proper decisions, uh, God-fearing, God-pleasing decisions when we find ourselves in those situations. 
That's right. And so last week we ended, Dr. Ford, with really just talking about the state of affairs in the world today. We are in a very dark world. And we have, you can't go to a movie like Sound of Freedom. You can't experience something like that without feeling a sense of maybe even righteous anger. May I say that? Uh, when, When you think of people being harmed by oppressors who desire nothing but evil against the individuals that they're oppressing, someone has to stand up. Someone has to do the tough job to deal with the toxicity of sin in our world, and it may cause them to do what they don't want to do, which is to possibly take a life to save a life. And we certainly see that in World War II. We can make the case that it wasn't about killing Nazis. It was about liberating a world from a hostility that was seizing and taking and destroying, pillaging and plundering like a locust plague across the world. Somebody has to stand up in that process. Of course, the Jews who had lost so many of their brethren over 6 million lives would ultimately lead to the nation of Israel being established. So what a blessing that would flow out of such loss of life. There was a, a blessing on the horizon uh, that that we even see, I believe, is part of prophetic fulfillment in that. So uh, God will raise up nations to deal with uh, the toxicity of sin of other nations. You have a dictator that is unruly and desiring to seize land that doesn't belong to him, like that ever happens in our culture today, <laughs> right? Um, somebody has to stand up against that, and, and that's the right thing to do. But we have to then assess this through the proper lens of the nature of humanity in contrast to the nature of God, you see, the nature of humanity is this state of brokenness. It's a strife on every level between nations and empires, people groups, uh, whether it be all sort. I mean, you could just go from racial, tribal, all sorts of friction. People groups have been at war since the fall of Adam. And we talked about that, how many wars that have, uh, you know, less than 300 years of peace since human humanity's fall there at the Garden of Eden. Uh, then we contrast that with the nature of God, which is the constant, never-changing fact that God is holy and just, but justice demands consequences. It's not God's heart to destroy people. Right. Ezekiel 18 talks about that. We see right. Peter talk about that. It, it, he does not desire that any should perish. He's not wanting the destruction of anyone. He wants them to repent. He wants them to turn from their wickedness. But the Lord is a warrior. He has the role of king. We see that in Exodus 15, 3. And in fact, it's Ecclesiastes 3, 8 that notes there's a time for war in a time for peace, there is a time for war. Not that anyone should want that. No, not that anyone, especially a believer in the Lord, should ever want to have to take a life. But they must be willing to answer the call if need be. It's the the soldier that still must bear the arm, the arms in in contrast of what they would really rather do, which is go be home with their family. Um, even though the training is exhausting, but at some point that training will probably be put to use. And it, and it must be handled correctly. Now, I want to at least put the caveat here that God will deal with commanders. God will deal with the kings. We have a responsibility to follow our instructions. Our commander will give us instructions. How do we handle those instructions then becomes a personal issue with us and the Lord. We can't be automatons. If they tell you, go uh, commit that heinous act that is godless and lawless, 
uh, you have to hold that accountable as well. Now, if they say you've got to push this button, there's bad guys in that building, you know, there, there comes a point where you have to do what's instructed of you to do, even if you don't want to do it. But in every situation, of course, you're a Christian first and foremost. But uh, we, we applaud the tough decision-making that our soldiers have right. to make, especially the ones who bear the light of truth. And we applaud that for our law enforcement as well. We need more Christians in law enforcement. Amen. Uh, but it doesn't mean that they won't ha- have a situation where they have to take a life. They, they may certainly have to do that. And we pray God's mercies and healing through those kind of circumstances. So God is patient. Let's just go there first. God is patient. His judgments come over time. We have to look to the Old Testament and we think, oh, he just wipes people out. Like the next day they committed this heinous act. Sodom and Gomorrah must have been the next day they were wiped out, right? I mean, we, we see that a lot. Get your family. Get out of Dodge. Right. Well, let's assess that a little bit here. And I mentioned Peter. Here's what 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we see the patience of God just unfold before our eyes. You see, in Jeremiah 49, 18, God says, as Sodom and Gomorrah were overthrown, so will be the fate of Petra. Now, Petra has become this tourist attraction. I've been there at least twice. And, uh, you know, I think there was some attraction to it when I saw Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. I really wanted to see that treasury. But it's a massive city. And the ruins just, they keep uncovering more and more. It's like the size of uh, Manhattan. And wow. Massive amounts of ruins there. It was built around 1600 B.C. by Esau's descendants, and God issued his judgment against it in 600 B.C. The Edomites kept turning against their brethren, the Israelites, and God issues this judgment. They won't ultimately be destroyed until around 663 A.D. That's 1,200 years after the judgment issued by Jeremiah, they'd gone through a number of, I mean, an earthquake in 363 A.D. They had been under Roman rule in 106 A.D. You go back through history there and you see there was plenty of time to repent. 1,200 years should do it. But yet their hearts were hardened and ultimately destruction came. I mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, there were five cities in that area and the youngest of those cities was Sodom, 52 years old. And some say, oh, that way they weren't around very long. But the other cities have been around for over a thousand years. So God gave them, again, ample time to repent. There's a number of cities I can use, for example. One that always comes to mind, though, is Tyre. And we see that in Ezekiel 26 and 28. The date that was widely accepted of the destruction of Tyre was 586, or at least the judgment. Let me say that. The judgment against them was 586 B.C. But... It seems as though when you follow the history, it looks like that was ultimately fulfilled around 1291 A.D. That means 1,800 years later that that prophecy was fully realized of the decimation of Tyre. I mean, it came under Alexander the Great's persecution, amongst many others. I mean, they built a road bridge out to the city that was now out in the waters. They were trying to get away from all the oppressors, and and still— it, this this final destruction didn't come about to around 1291. I think of Nineveh. Now, I mentioned that in the last broadcast. Here's a city of these Assyrians who were evil, wicked as wicked could be. And, and we see that God sends Jonah in 760 BC. 
And here's the heart of God. Here's what he says, Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? That's the way the book ends, revealing God's heart not only for these people, Wicked people, mind you, they were skinning their enemies alive, worshiping all sorts of false gods. They were heinous, wicked people. That's why Jonah wanted them wiped out. He didn't want them to be uh, given into repentance and that God would spare them. He knew the heart of God would show mercy even to these wicked people. And so it ends with even God making an account of, what about the animals? that are going to be destroyed in the midst of their suffering and judgments. That's his heart. And we lose sight of that in the midst of this. And so the city is ultimately wiped out around 612 BC. And we see that with Nahum as the prophet goes to them and speaks so over 150 years later. So I, I, what I, we need to understand here is that God's heart is merciful. He's been that way ever since, but he has to, in his holiness, execute judgment and he will use nations to do that. Uh, sometimes you use earthquakes. Sometimes it's volcanoes. I mean, Mount Vesuvius, you look at Pompeii, instant wiped out, right? God will do that. But his judgment demands that. It's like his cup. And then we talk about the cup of wrath. It fills up where, where God's, it's like a, if you'd have some sort of a, a time, uh, you know, like sand flowing from one end to the other. And it's like, God is just, the judgment's coming. Repent, repent while you can still repent, repent. We see that even in the book of Revelation, where seven times the people refuse to repent. He doesn't want to have to bring these kind of judgments, but they not only refuse to repent, but they love their lawlessness and hate the one who's calling them to repentance, even sending an angel to call upon the people of the earth in the time of the greatest calamity the world will ever know, and they still will refuse to repent. And and that's what we have to understand here. So people will use a lot of biblical passages to support the pacifist perspective. I mean, we see that in Matthew 5, 38 to 39. You've heard that it is said, An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Again, these passages are referring to the heart condition. Right. Right, and that's that's the issue because we see from Deuteronomy, and we we go right back. We talk about this eye for eye. That's Deuteronomy nineteen twenty one, even, and talking about capital punishment in some of these issues. So the Lord is not against capital punishment if if carried out rightly, justly, righteously. It must be done. But he tells us in Romans twelve eighteen, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, meaning it's not going to always be possible. I mean, Jesus even told Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? But he didn't tell Peter, get rid of your sword. You know, so, so what we have to understand here is that there are times when we must understand that we may confront the reality of the toxicity of sin in our culture in a very real way that puts us in a defensive posture where we may have to take the life of the oppressor. And, and that is the, the worst case scenario. We don't want that. Nobody should want that, but it may be a reality. And if not for those individuals who stand up in the gap in that way, the pacifists would have no argument because people just roll right through their home and kill their, their wives or children. Uh, you know, so somebody has to stand in the way of this. And I, I, Dr. Ford, even before the program, we talked a little bit about that. If we were in a situation like that, we, we may even see people who have their concealed carry permits, all sorts of training. You know, there's a lot of mixed martial arts training going right. on, even in Christian groups. Sure. Um, and you think, well, you, you train so that you never have to use that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
you have your concealed carry with the hope that you never yeah. have to ever draw a weapon. Yeah. But to your point, it was easy. It's easy for someone to, you know, point that out and say, well, look at you, you're planning to do wrong. And it's like, no, it's not for the defense of myself. I, I can choose not to defend myself. Right. But if, if there's a woman and a child behind me who's about to be harmed, I have a duty That's to right. stand exactly for the right. oppressed. Right. And, and it may mean that I have to do what I don't want to do. Uh, you know, we see in the ESV study Bible, the command to love one's neighbor is consistent with going to war to protect one's neighbor from an aggressor, as is evident from the fact that the Old Testament command love for one's neighbor, Leviticus 19.18, as well as directions for the conduct of war in Deuteronomy chapter 20. It is also evident from the example of David who loved his son Absalom, but sent the army against him when Absalom sought to usurp the throne in 2 Samuel 18, 1 to 33. So it's always to avoid if possible. And today we seem to see countries rising up. I mean, they're ruining up with this eagerness almost to seize land from their neighbors. I mean, China with Taiwan, Russia with Ukraine, that, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. It is, I believe it's only going to get worse. I mean, we see the 10-nation confederacy, the end of days, Ezekiel 38, 39. We see a nation uh, led by what seems to be Russia against Israel, and yet no one comes to her aid. The Lord himself has to defend Israel because her, her allies seem to abandon her. Uh, so we have to be ready to stand in the gap. What we find here, Dr. Ford, is that we come back to this full circle that human life is sacred. Because human beings are made in God's image, and therefore all lives are to be valued. We should avoid killing at all costs, especially in warfare, which tends to kill in great numbers, unfortunately. But it is necessary, unfortunately, in a world filled with sin. So therefore, we have to avoid it at all costs, but we may not always be given the opportunity to avoid at all costs. Certainly those who stand up and say, here I am, I will defend my country, I'll defend my community, as a police officer is, but yet they may be forced to do something they don't want to do. So the just war theory has become quite prominent within Protestant churches, and Augustine thought that we would establish a just war, sort of a, a litmus test, if you will. I mean, in fact, as Scott Ray, who is a professor of Christian ethics, he summarizes the just war theory with these seven points. He says, in war, you, you must question, when you assess it all, it must be prompted by a just cause, defined as a defensive war. That is, no war of unprovoked aggression can ever be justified. Number two, he says, the war in question must have a just intention. That is, its intent must be to secure a fair peace for all parties involved. You want to get in and get out as quickly as possible. You don't want it to increase to harm more life, right? So we want to see peace prevail ultimately. The war in question must be engaged as a last resort. The war in question must be initiated with a formal declaration by a properly constituted authorities issuing such a declaration. And the war in question must be characterized by limited objectives. The war in question must be conducted with uh, proportionate means. That is, the amount of force used must be proportionate to the threat. And the war in question must respect non-combatant immunity, right? Looking out for how, in fact, that's why I'm so for some of the new technologies they have. I mean, you know, you've seen videos of of uh, weapons going down a street and turning a corner, right? right. right? It, it's to make sure they hit the right objective rather than taking unnecessary life in this. So, Dr. Ford, we can probably spend hours on this. I think that ultimately, 
is Arthur Holmes says, he's a just war proponent. He says, war is evil. It causes all things in it. It's whole cause, he says, are evil, whether they be deliberate aggression, unbridled greed, lust for power, fear and distrust, an exaggerated national pride, a perverted sense of honor, or some form of social justice. The issue that tears Christian consciences is not whether war is good, but whether it is in all cases entirely avoidable, right? So I think that anybody going into war knows we're about to go into, dare I say, hell on earth right. is what it feels like. And and lives are going to be taken. People who might have been a farmer the day before are now being forced into a situation where they have to take the life of somebody else or their own life is going to be taken, uh, the the damage to the real estate, the people, the the countries, it goes on for generations thereafter. I don't think any of the combatants in those situations want to be in that. Now, we certainly heard about mercenary groups and all sorts of people groups around the world who seem to crave those sort of things. That's different. We're talking about two countries where the combatants in the middle here between the the, the powers that be may not want any part of this, but they may be forced into it. And in the midst of that might be Christians And they need to, as you indicated at the beginning of this program, we need to be praying for them. We need to praise God that we have individuals who are willing to stand and do the hard thing. And we need to pray that they're able to make discernment in those situations, that as they're on the front line, those police officers in our community, that they're able to think with clarity, not emotion, right? That every assessment of this situation can be viewed through the right lens, and the last resort would be that a life be taken. So how can they honor God in the throes of difficulty as a representative of Christ first and foremost in the harsh reality of the fallen nature of men where there is going to be life taken at times? And as horrible as that is, we still have Christians who at the end of the day are still believers doing what they believe is honorable and just even before the holiness of God. And they need our prayers and they need our support in that. If it goes beyond that, then that's a heart issue. And that's where we have to pray for their hearts as well, that, that the war not consume their identity, but they remain steadfast in their loyalty to the Lord, even able to do what seems to be impossible for men to do. No one should want that, right, to, to take a life of another. So war is terrible and causes great suffering. Peace is far more desirable than war, and sin is ultimately the root cause of warfare. But we praise God for those who take a stand and do so honorably before the Lord. So, Dr. Ford, I think we're about out of time on that. And uh, we'll probably cover some more of this next week as we move to our next topic, because ultimately this leads to the subject of evil. Why is there evil in the world? Because that's the one that's a stumbling block for unbelievers and, yes, even believers alike. We have to talk about that critical issue. So we want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth. And we encourage you to go and re-listen to this broadcast and many others at calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley Church. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. We'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.